Beginning in verse 9, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God, I pray that your word would penetrate our hearts this morning, help us to understand some things about you. And I pray that your will would be done today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, for this reason, because of what we talked about last week, the gospel, the hope laid up in heaven, the Colossians had understood the grace of God in truth. They learned it from Epaphras. Paul and Timothy heard of their love in the Spirit. And as a result of what Epaphras had brought to Paul, everything that he had heard about them, once they heard about it, since that day, they had not ceased to pray for the Colossian believers. So it was a continuous prayer for the Colossians from Paul and Timothy. So what did they pray? Verse 9, they asked God to be, that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So it was a continuous prayer. And the idea of being filled is simply liberally supplied. Paul and Timothy asked that the Colossian believers would be supplied, liberally supplied, and abounding in the spiritual possessions that come from God. This same word we see in Ephesians 5.18 where we're told not to be drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. The construction of the Greek text, it's a little bit of a difference. Colossians 1 is, as we said, it's a liberal supply. It's a supply of. But in Ephesians 5, it's the Spirit of God permeating the soul. Same Greek word, but a little bit of difference in the way that it is used in each of those sentences. So the Spirit of God diffused throughout the soul in Ephesians 5. We're controlled by the Spirit, but here... Paul is asking that they'll be filled, they'll be liberally supplied with the knowledge of God and His will, with the knowledge of His will. So we see that in a couple of different places. If you want to turn with me, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 11. Having been filled, uh, let's go back verse 8. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. So that is one place where we see this idea of being filled 
with these things from God. In that case, the fruit of righteousness. And then let's go back to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31 and verse 3. Beginning in verse 1 though, Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. I have filled him. Same idea. I have filled him with the Spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for the work of gold and silver and bronze. And it goes on from there. So in this case, God is filling this person and a couple of other people, or some other people, one of them he named specifically Aholiab, and they're to build the tabernacle. They're putting this together. They're craftsmen. And so he is filling them with all that they need to do that, including his spiritual possessions. Filled him with the Spirit of God and wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and then craftsmanship, the skill that he needs to build this the way that God wanted it. And so there was much more to that than just constructing a uh, few things there. God filled him with the Spirit. And that was, when you look at that event back there in Exodus, this was a place that God was going to dwell with the people of Israel for a time. And we don't have that need now because He dwells within us, the Spirit of God within us. But if we stop and think, we can run through a bunch of verses really quick. But stop and think about this. Paul, in the, for the Colossians, and, and this is the desire for God for us today, that we're filled with the knowledge of His will. Now there's one specific thing that he's talking about to the Colossians, and that is as it has to do with the truth of Scripture regarding salvation and, and the teaching of that, as opposed to the false teaching that was going on that Epiphras shared with him as a concern. So they were hearing, or it was around town, anyway, they were exposed, and this was a concern, they were exposed to the ideas, a, a concoction of ideas, a blend of ideas, a false teaching, and it was the traditions of the Jews, the traditional, you've got to do these things in order to be right before God. And then the Greek philosophy, the thinking of the people that were not associated with God, didn't understand Him at all, except in creation, and their ideas, and the worship of angels, and all kinds of different things. And we think, if we're not careful, we think, well, that's not an issue today. We all understand what the Gospel is. Maybe, hopefully, that's what the idea of preaching the Word of God and doing Bible studies and time in the Word yourselves, that's the idea behind that so that we understand the grace of God and truth. We understand the Gospel have repented of our sin, have trusted Christ and believed in Him. But that is not always the case. And as we're, as we're out and about and we learn of other teachings that are available, uh, we had a, a gentleman stop by in the church here a few weeks back uh, delivering a package. And um, because of where he chooses to gather together on Sunday, it's very clear that the Gospel that he believes is not a gospel at all. It's a false doctrine. And it's a lie. And so it is around us. And we do know that there are lies out there as far as how to be saved and who God is. And so they encountered that too. They encountered that twist of truth 
for their day. And there isn't anything new under the sun. So whatever their twist of truth was that day, it's around here too. It might be twisted left instead of right, but it's still twisted. It's not, it's not the truth. And so what, what difference does that make for us? Well, to be quite frank, if the church is the pillar and support of truth, and that's our role as a body of believers, we must know that truth. And we must be able to refute a false doctrine. And don't think for a second that it can't come in. That it won't show up. And I will tell you this, Satan has been around a long time. We know that from the Word of God. And we know that he's a schemer, he's an accuser, and he's a liar. He's the father of lies. He wants to destroy. He seeks those whom he can devour. You swallow them up. He will not stop. He will not stop. When we look at this letter, we don't want to gloss over that Paul was praying continuously for them to be filled with the knowledge of His will. This is the Gospel. This is the good news. Not this other stuff. Okay, so we'll get into some more later, but just let's not be complacent in that we understand the truth of the Gospel. We understand it in truth in the Word of God. And we understand too that little subtle turns of that can show up anywhere, even here. So please don't be complacent. And we must pray for one another that we will be filled with the knowledge of His will in this specific area. So, God, all the way back, we see God filling His people with His spiritual possessions so that we have what we need to understand Him, to be saved, to live in a way that works for God, not for us. So he asked that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What does that mean? Everybody knows what wisdom is, right? Now try and define it. <laughs> right? Okay, wisdom is, is different. There is man's wisdom and there is God's wisdom. And they're different. They're not the same. Obviously, he's wanting them to be filled with God's wisdom, a knowledge of God's plan, a knowledge of God Himself, and a knowledge of God's ways. Wisdom is not philosophy or being wise in man's ideas and thoughts. It can't be obtained by natural man's methods either. It can't be obtained just by us thinking. God's wisdom is obtained from the Spirit of God taking the Word of God and putting it in our hearts. That's where we get God's wisdom from. It only comes from God. And understanding in this text is the idea of using God's wisdom in specific circumstances of life. More the application. And understanding what do I do with this wisdom of God? What do I do with what God says about this? How does that show up here? Discernment would be another word. And it is throughout Scripture, obviously. Let's go to Psalm 111. I'm going to read this psalm, but when we hit verse 10, that's our key verse. Praise the Lord, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. 
Splendid and majestic is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has made His wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear Him. He will remember His covenant forever. Anytime you see the covenant of God, remember that He's a covenant keeper. He doesn't forget and He doesn't fail. He has made known to His people the power of His works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of His hands are truth and justice. All His precepts are sure. They are upheld forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to His people. He has ordained His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. So the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. A right placement of God. An understanding of who He is. And a reverent fear. An awe of our God. That's the beginning of wisdom. Everybody who does His commandments has a good understanding. And so wisdom and understanding begin with the fear of God. Proverbs chapter 1. Let's go there and take a look and see what we find. These are familiar passages. Verse 5, Proverbs 1. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now a fool despises wisdom and instruction. So there is a biblical term for those who aren't interested in God's wisdom or His instruction, and that is they're a fool. So the fear of the Lord again. Skip down to verse 20. We're going to look at a picture of wisdom. She makes some noise. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. The entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, wisdom says. And we have a warning in this passage. When wisdom calls and we refuse, problems will come. And it will be tough because wisdom will just laugh and mock when the problems and the consequences come. Verse 29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Verse 33, but he who listens to me, this is wisdom speaking, he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Proverbs does not pull any punches. Chapter 2, verse 2 through 6. 
And we must, we must talk to ourselves about being wise and having understanding. We have to. And we have to plead with our children and our grandchildren, be wise. The world is not wise. There is very little in the world that begs us to listen to wisdom anymore. There is some, but not much. It used to be in generations past where the wisdom of God, the fear of the Lord, was commonplace, and that is not the case any longer. But God is faithful. He is powerful. And He calls us to hear His wisdom and understanding. Chapter 2, Proverbs, verse 2 through 6. Paint this picture with these words in your mind. What happens when we can't hear and we want to hear? What do we do? Big and loud. Cup your ear. That's what I do. That's a clear signal. I can't hear a word you're saying. You cup your ear to get the sound to come in. What else do we do? We lean in, right? Can you tell when somebody's trying to hear you? They're, they're focused on you. If they're visual, their eyes are locked in on you. If they can't hear you, they're going to cup their ear, they're going to lean in. Proverbs 2. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Ignore the noise around you. Pay attention to God. We must do that. Incline your heart to understanding. It's a heart that's bent, just like that person listening, that's leaning forward to catch what's being said. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. We have so much noise in our world and God's wisdom is here. It's available. We have to lock out the noise and we have to lean in and we have to have hearts that are bent towards God and wanting, desiring, humble enough to say, I don't know what you do, God. So let's listen. Job. What a wonderful book. Let's go there. Job chapter 12. And we'll be in a couple places in Job. Job chapter 12, verse 13. Job is speaking of the power of God here. With Him, God, are wisdom and might. To Him, to God. With Him, with God, are wisdom and might. To Him belong counsel and understanding. Verse 16, with Him are strength and sound wisdom. I think we're seeing what we should see here, and that is wisdom comes from God. Understanding comes only from Him. Apart from Him, we really don't have that. We can make choices and decisions and gain knowledge that are helpful in life and maybe to get through this world a little bit, okay. But it's not God's wisdom. His is different. And His wisdom and understanding, especially in regard to His will about the Gospel, is the only thing that takes us from this life to 
eternal life with God. Job 28. The first part of Job 28, he talks about the treasures of the earth. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. He's talking about digging for these, these gems and these precious metals and all that the earth holds in regard to these. And he says, we dig in the ground, the earth from it comes food, and underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires, and its dust contains gold. We'll dig mines to get the precious metals. We'll block up rivers and mine the riverbed for the same thing. We hew out channels, verse 10, of the rocks, and as I see anything precious, we dam up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden, he brings it out to light. Verse 12, but where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. In verse 23, God understands its way and He knows its place. And then verse 28, and to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. So we can see when wisdom and understanding are applied to our lives. A little something interesting as I was preparing for this week, and especially when we consider giving thanks to God. Turn to Job 39. We must not take God's wisdom and understanding for granted. He's not compelled to give us those things. Job 39.13 The ostrich's wings flap joyously with the pinion and plumage of love, for she abandons her eggs to the earth and warms them in the dust, and she forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may trample them. She treats her young cruelly as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, she is unconcerned. Why? Because God has made her forget wisdom and He has not given her a share of understanding. And that's an interesting thing to consider. God is not compelled to give us wisdom and understanding. He doesn't have to. We get the Spirit of God as believers. There's nothing, there's nothing that should cause us to fear a loss of God's wisdom and understanding the ability to obtain it and use it for His glory and our good, except grieving the Spirit of God and continually searing the conscience to where we get to a place where we just don't want to listen anymore. And for folks who walk down that road, it can be quite lonely, quite destructive, and at some point in time we are told in Scripture that God just takes care of those folks who are His but have become a heart of heart and won't listen anymore. When we find those people, we need to plead with them. This is conviction. I don't have a verse for it, but I believe that starts with people who choose to separate themselves from the body of Christ and not be a part of a body. They are alone, ripe for the picking. They're ready to be taken and devoured 
So when we find those folks who are out, I'm not talking about illness or the stuff that's going on that we're dealing with in our country regarding this virus. I'm talking about a heart that says, I will not, I don't need the body, I can do this on my own. That person's in danger. And I, I hold that very strongly for a lot of reasons. When you see them, grab them. Say, please come back. If not in this local body, at least one. It's God's design. It's His plan for His people. God's wisdom and understanding. That, um, that set of verses in Job 39 that He would hold His wisdom back, that, that's for an ostrich. We should feel sorry for that critter. But he's not obligated. It just I read that and I thought, wow. Thank you, God, for not withholding your wisdom and understanding from your people. He's not obligated. We should be thankful and grateful for that one thing alone, let alone everything else that God does. His wisdom and understanding show up as he moves, as he creates life, as God interacts with his entire creation. He is wisdom. He is understanding. He's not just applying a head knowledge to a task. He is that wisdom and understanding. And as we know Him, and we see that, and we see what it looks like, they prayed for a knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The knowledge of God's will, this is His will, the purpose of God that includes Him blessing mankind with salvation through Christ. In this passage, His will is specific. Paul wanted the Colossians to know God's will regarding salvation. That it's from God, through Christ, and for God's glory, not man's glory. We're not on the throne. God's glory. This keeps false teaching out. If it's God's plan, and it, and it is, it's not ours, it's God's. If it's God's plan, we have His Word to tell us what all is involved. It didn't have anything to do with the errors that Paul was strengthening the Colossians against. It was God's plan, not this other stuff. I want us to take a look. We don't need to focus on what the error was today. We need to focus on God has a gospel, the good news of salvation. We've heard it a lot. We read it. We marvel in it because He gives us life as a result of faith in Christ. But I want to tell you, twisting it, it shows up so fast. It shows up a false gospel. And we need to pay attention to that. Galatians chapter 1. Because in its subtlety, if somebody walks up to you and says, Jesus was a man and not God, Period. That's easily recognizable, right? And we would disagree with that. We would refute that. We would say that's a lie. It's not true. But what about Jesus was a man? Jesus was God. You have to believe in Christ to be saved. And you've got to do something too. And if that something is tied in with a verse of Scripture where that word is present, and all of a sudden it gets clouded and muddy water, and we have just this one little addition, how easy is it for us to miss 
if we believe that, we're taking and negating the blood of Christ because it's Christ plus one thing. One little subtle thing. And now we've got confusion, right? Because we can see it in a verse. Well, what is that? If we have a Gospel that includes something other than faith in Christ, what do we call that? False Gospel, isn't it? If you must believe and do anything, there's all kinds of flavors of that. But, here's what we want to consider. If somebody believes that you've got to do something plus believe in Jesus to be saved. We might have what we call error, and that would be just a misunderstanding, right? I've just misunderstood something. How do we find that out? When you approach a person that is, has, an, has error, they just misunderstood something, you approach them about it, they're going to look at that verse, they're going to study that verse with you or apart from you, and they're going to come back and address that. But if you have somebody that clings to this, regardless of you being gentle and talking with them about it, they cling to this error, now you have an active pursuit of a false gospel, which is heresy. Now the intent of the heart is demonstrated, and that is I will not submit to the Scripture regarding the gospel of salvation. I will hold to my own beliefs. Paul has something to say, and these things are hard to sort through sometimes. Okay? But they must be sorted through. In the body of Christ, we can, in American culture, we can argue about a lot of different things that are unnecessary. But here, by the grace of God, we will not waver on what the gospel is. And we will stand firm on that because life comes from it. And that's very important. We don't have to be unkind. But when God says this is what the Gospel is, the good news of Christ, we will adhere to that by His grace. And any twisting of that, we will be kind and gentle, but we will refute it. We will stand firm on the grace of God in truth. Galatians chapter 1. This is Paul's mind about people confusing what the good news of Christ is. Familiar passage, I'm sure, but let us remind ourselves. Paul, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different Gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the Gospel of Christ. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a Gospel contrary So what we have preached to you, He is to be accursed. It is no joke. He's serious about this. Paul says, if I twist or distort the Gospel, I should be accursed. God forbid, he says, that I do that. An angel from heaven twists or contorts the Gospel. He should be accursed. As we have said before, so I say now again, if any man is preaching you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. He says it twice. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God, or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. He serves God, not mankind. 
So we can be kind and we can be gentle, but we must stand firm where God stands firm. And if we're going to add anything to the Gospel, it is a false Gospel. It is another Gospel, but it's not really good news because it's dependent on us and not our loving God. Not our all-powerful God. Not our all-knowing God. And it takes the blood of Christ and reduces it to a liquid that is worthless because in that good news, in quotes, it has to be something we did. And so the blood of Christ is useless without man's effort in a false gospel. And that is not true. The blood of Christ is everything. And man is nothing. So, let us share the good news of Christ with the world. And let us not be deceived with lies. Gentle but firm, guys. Gentle but firm. Anything but Christ will be opposed. And we should do that. We don't go looking for problems, but we should do that. There is no good news in workspace ideas regarding salvation. There is no good news in man's philosophy, the worship of angels, traditions of men. To be quite frank, it's all garbage. It's worthless. There's no redemption in it at all. We have the Gospel though, and there is life in that. In Christ. God's will is for us to understand, among other things, that He ordained the means of our salvation, and He didn't inquire as to what we thought about it. He had His plan. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. It's not as if God came up with this off the cuff. And I'm not being glib, I'm being serious. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him, in Christ. Notice that, verse 4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before He created man, before He created the world, He had this plan. Paul prayed for the Colossians to be filled with knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We understand what our walk is, our conduct of life, the regulation of our conduct of life, so that we would walk worthy of the Lord. The Lord our God is 100%. Jesus was 100% deity. 100% God. He died for you. And for me, His blood was spilt. So this is the God of the universe. 
created everything, holds everything together. Everything is dependent on Christ. And He gave up His life for us. And I've talked about this before, the Trinity relating to one another for all eternity. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, relating to one another for all eternity, past, behind us. And in that moment on the cross, the Father turned His back on the Son. The Son absorbed the wrath of God for you and me. And for every human being, every single sin, imagine tallying up your own sins that have happened so far. Carry that out through your entire life, the ones that will happen tomorrow and following, this afternoon and following. Multiply that times the number of people in our state. Seven million, I think, today. Those who have lived. So, the population of the world right now, plus those who have already died, plus those who are yet to be born. Every one of those sins requires punishment. The wrath of God and Jesus bore all of that. Now is our walk worthy of His blood? By the grace of God. Okay? So this is why He's praying that they would understand. That they would understand. That we would understand the knowledge of God's will regarding salvation so that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. How can we really walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Not without the Lord. Only as He gives us life. Only as He gives us life. His blood. We have a caution in 1 Corinthians 11 when he's talking about the Lord's Supper. Let's turn there and take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This may be a familiar passage. Please understand, we have to remind ourselves we are not under the weight of the law. We're not under a weight of performance. We don't live like that. These things just are because we have the truth. These things are when we have life. We get our eyes off of the flesh and we think on those things that are above. We stop paying as believers. We stop paying attention to that which would restrain us and take us captive, our own flesh. And we live according to who we are, children of God. It's not something where we can force it. You can't make people who don't have life in them get up and run a marathon. It doesn't happen. They made a movie about some guys that tried to do that. It's called Weekend at Bernie's. It didn't work so well. It doesn't happen. We have life, then we walk, and we walk worthy of His blood. 1 Corinthians 11. So, to get a picture of walking worthy of God, worthy of the Lord, let's look at what it means in the opposite, unworthy. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians 11:17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become 
evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. He's not real happy about this. He exclaims, what? Do you not have houses in which to eat or drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? I'm not going to praise you in this. And then he goes on, For I received of the Lord that which I delivered to you. The night he was betrayed, he took bread. He given thanks, he broke it. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, verse 27, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup on the Lord, of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. It's a very big caution that he gives there. And it's coming from, they just weren't paying attention to the Lord in the Lord's Supper. It was a party for them and it was a selfish one at that. And this is why it's a sobering thing when we participate in the Lord's Supper. It is why it is why for us, the little ones that haven't trusted Christ, we don't we don't do it. I don't it's a conviction, but it's a serious thing. And he goes on to tell them, because some of you have chosen to participate in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, some of you are sick and some of you are dead. And that's just what he says. Now, somebody who hasn't trusted Christ, they're in a different spot. But it is a serious thing. The heart and the symbolism and the things that we're proclaiming, Jesus' blood, His death, they're no small thing. And we want to pay close attention to that. So that is unworthy. And worthy is just valuing and understanding this is Christ's blood. And He says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will. So I'm going to ask God for that so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. Our walk continues in the Gospel of Christ. Departing from that to something else is not pleasing to God. It's not His will. We bear fruit. Believers, we're different. We look different than the world does. Peacemakers, not brawlers. Humble, putting others before ourselves. Philippians 2. We take care of the widows and the orphans. James 1, verse 27. Let's go back and look at Isaiah. Chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 1. While you're turning, I'm going to read James. It's a familiar passage, I'm sure. James chapter 1, 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The believer bearing fruit, a group of believers bearing fruit, we're going to care for those cannot take care of themselves. We're going to put others before us. We are not living perfectly, but we do have a concern for other people. We love others because Christ loved us first.
Isaiah chapter 1, notice the contrast between what God says is good in James and here. And we see God's heart in other places. Those who are unable, He cares for. Verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to instruction of a God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiple sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals, your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. Can you imagine hearing this from God? His Word endures. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. But He doesn't leave them there. He says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. And here it is. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Down in verse 23, the last part, they do not defend the orphan, nor does the widow's plea come before them. They were taking advantage of people who couldn't take care of themselves. And God says, I don't care what you do in the assembly. I don't care about all the noise you make. Your hearts are far from me and I won't have it. So believers, we bear fruit. We do care for others. We do take care of those things and those people, especially the ones who have a hard time taking care of themselves. We do these things because we have life, because we've been redeemed. We love other people. We love those who have been created in God's moral image. We love His creation and His creatures. People matter. People matter to God and they matter to us. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. As we encounter God and His wisdom, this is increasing in the knowledge of God. As we encounter His wisdom and understanding, our knowledge of God increases. As that happens in our hearts, we will be, under, be, we will be able to, we will begin to understand the deep things of God. He doesn't want our outward nods at piety. He wants us. And I want to take a look. We can get confused in the Old Testament. Let's take a look at some of the minor prophets. This is a different time period than we live in now. Our focus though is who is God? An understanding of God. And this gives us a picture of what matters to Him. Micah chapter 6. Our God is a loving God. He cares for His people. He takes care of us. He gives us His Spirit. We have a new covenant with God. The blood of Christ redeems us, gives us life. The Spirit of God lives within us, but our God hasn't changed. Micah chapter 6, verse 7. Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts as a sacrifice? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Verse 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, 
and to walk humbly with your God. God doesn't want a prideful heart. God wants a humility. An ear and a heart that are inclined to Him. Says, Lord, what would You have me to do? What do You want? A few books over, Zephaniah chapter 1. 17 and 18, I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them. On the day of the Lord's wrath, all the earth will be devoured. In the fire of His jealousy, for He will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one of all the inhabitants of the earth. He carries on in verse 3 of chapter 2, Seek the Lord. All you humble of the earth who have carried out His ordinances, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you'll be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Understanding that God is after the heart and not the outward appearances, not the outward actions. He wants the heart of each one of us. And He's serious about that. The prideful heart that says, I will do what I want to do and not pay attention to what God wants. It's a dangerous heart. There's a couple verses in Nahum we see taking refuge in the stronghold of God. Men who devise against God, He will end them. Habakkuk chapter 2, creating idols is pointless. Instead, be quiet. Be humble before God. Seek the Lord. Righteousness and humility. Understanding God, we have a full picture of Him in the Scripture end to end. Spend that time learning about Him. Paul wanted them to be filled with the knowledge of His will, amply supplied in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please Him, to bear fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, and strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. The power of God strengthens us. Strengthened with all power. Both of those words, strengthened and power, come from the same root word. We get our modern day word dynamite from the Greek word used for strengthened and power in this verse. There's a concept that we can, there's a concept in Bible study, um, exegesis and eisegesis. Okay, so we have our current word dynamite, which is explosive power. And then we have the Greek word that is used here for power and strengthened. And so if we're going to implant our ideas in the scripture, then we're going to understand. Strengthened with all power is to be an explosive thing. But it's not. The word that's used here for power has the idea of strengthening, not explosive, but strengthening. So we take the meaning of Scripture and we draw it out and interpret in light of what Scripture says rather than taking our current day ideas and thoughts and implanting them. And that's a Bible study principle that's super helpful. Paul started with power, but it's a strengthening power. The purpose of his strengthening that he was after for the believers in Colossae 
They were strengthened with all power according to God's might. Our all-powerful God strengthened them. That's what He was asking. So that they would attain steadfastness and patience. There's a couple of ideas for us to consider here. The patience, that has to do more of trials that that are uh, coming from people. People that would harm us. So the patience is regarding people. The steadfastness is bearing up under trials that might not be dealing with a person. Maybe a health trial. Maybe a financial trial. Something that isn't a person trying to do us harm. So we have the, the whole thing covered, basically. So what do we do with all of it? God qualifies us. It all starts with Him. Paul and Timothy prayed and asked God. God does the supplying, the filling. It is His will we are filled with knowledge of. It is His wisdom, His understanding. It is Him we are to conduct our lives worthy of. His sacrificial blood was spilled. It is His Son, Jesus, who gave His life. It is God's power that raised the Son. God is glorified when someone believes. The perfect, unblemished Lamb, the beloved Son, sacrificed, walk worthy of Him. God is glorified when we do. When we focus on living lives consistent with who we are as His chosen people, we please Him. Bearing fruit demonstrates life from the vine. Again, we live consistently with who we are as members of His body. We know more about Him as we absorb His truth, His Word. We increase in the knowledge of God as we walk with Him, not paying as much attention to our flesh, yielded to the Spirit rather than the flesh. Father, we're thankful for Your Word, for Your love, for all that You do in our lives. And I pray that we would be changed as we consider this passage today, and that we would carry that with us throughout the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.